Welcome to an exciting forum of alternative viewpoints and balanced ideas. This is Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. That's Nav C and Nav M. Confused? Don't be, because two halves always become one. Now join us for an energized hour of global viewpoints and shared ideas, only for you. Now, here are your hosts, Nav and Nav. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. I'm your host, Nav C. And I'm your host, Navem. Welcome to another hour of Alternative Views. This show will help you rethink, reshape and reform ongoing narratives. So in today's episode, we focus on the holiday of Thanksgiving and its origins, its significance and especially how it's related to in a contemporary era. It's one of the biggest holidays in the United States and it's celebrated on the 4th Thursday in November and forms part of the broader holiday season together with uh, Christmas and New Year during this time of year. And here in Canada, Thanksgiving is held on the second Monday of October, which was actually last week. And contrary to common belief, Canada has its own history of Thanksgiving, which is slightly different from the US. But in this episode, we'll be concentrating solely on American Thanksgiving. So as a brief roadmap to today's episode, I'd like to start with a very small introduction uh, to provide some context to this very significant event and the origins of the original English settlers known uh, later on as the uh, Pilgrims. And then Navsi will begin her piece on the traditional myth of Thanksgiving and why the event is shrouded in, in myth for so many years and she will highlight the glaring inaccuracies in this story. And then we'll turn our attention to the duplicity present in the, the modern version of Thanksgiving in its relation to consumerism and materialism before arriving at some final remarks. So let's start with an introduction. Traditionally, Thanksgiving is a time when families across America come together over a turkey feast and give thanks for all the blessings and abundance they've received over the past year. And while it's similar to Harvest Festival, the origins of Thanksgiving are markedly different because it heralds back to a time when the Puritans landed on the shores of the east coast of America in the 17th century to set up colonies in what would later be known as New England. And the conventional account states that the Puritans were forced to flee England because they were persecuted for their religious beliefs and they arrived in the Americas with what they thought was an empty and previously untouched land, despite the presence of Native Americans there. However, the story of the first Thanksgiving, which includes the pilgrims and Native Americans gathering together, and the famous feast with Turkey, is somewhat wide of the mark. And we'll look into these different aspects uh, throughout the episode. But it would appear that the facts and myths about Thanksgiving have coalesced over the years for the purpose of political expediency. And most of the blame has been apportioned to sketchy historical details and a softening of context to present the official story in a more positive light. And also heavily responsible are children's books and animated television series, which have not only misinformed entire generations, but also engendered a range of stereotypes. But what we do know is that the ship which brought the settlers to North America from England the Mayflower, did indeed disembark at what is now New Plymouth, Massachusetts, where they began to set up a colony and following a successful harvest in 1621, they celebrated a gathering attended by members of the Wampanoag tribe. But it wasn't until the 1830s that this event was officially called the first Thanksgiving and, and the holiday was later made official in 1863 when President Abraham Lincoln declared it as a national event. And this was also related to the events going on during the Civil War. But interestingly, the popular version of this enduring holiday has almost erased from collective memory what happened between the Wampanoags and the English settlers a generation later as thousands of the settlers flooded the region throughout the 17th century. 
in an ongoing process, and this eventually led to armed conflict. Furthermore, as European settlers acquired more land, they brought with them disease which decimated the in indigenous population in New England by as much as 90%. And Thanksgiving became a fixture of American culture, the story of the first Thanksgiving with its misrepresentation of the native experience, which remained largely unchanged. However, it wasn't until 1970 that Native Americans of New England organized themselves and tried to uh, uh, exhibit a different approach to the, the, the story of, of Thanksgiving. And, and they marked American Thanksgiving in 1970 with a protest which was named the, the National Day of Mourning, not for celebration but for grieving and fasting. And their annual protests were aimed at educating America about the history and survival of the Wampanoag people. So let's now look at the story behind the original settlers. To uncover the full story behind Thanksgiving is necessary to first examine the settlers' motives for shifting to America. And this was largely steeped in the religious reformation in England. So for hundreds of years, from the 11th century to the late Tudor period, England was a religiously homogenous country, practicing the Catholic faith. Protestant beliefs and ideas came much later, and they, they entered the country during the early 16th century. And the break from the Catholic Church came during the reign of King Henry VIII and the subsequent Protestant Reformation. And Henry VIII came into direct conflict with the Pope, by breaking away from the Church of Rome to form the Church of England. And it was this schism which caused a major rift between Catholics and Protestants and lasted several centuries as both groups vied for religious and political supremacy, causing many people to die for their religious beliefs. So let's look at who were the Puritans and what are the origins of the Pilgrim Fathers. So given the conflict between Catholics and Protestants, there was also dissension among the Protestant ranks about how far reform should go. And over time, a split emerged between the members of the Church of England. And a new group emerged and they formed um, a separate sect known as the Puritans who were strictly opposed to the elaborate rituals of the Catholic Church, which was still prevalent in many of the traditions at the time in, in the Church of England. And the religious and political climate in England worsened during the reign of King Charles I, who eventually took the unprecedented step of dissolving Parliament altogether. And by this time, the Puritans had already interpreted the reign of Charles I as a hostile act towards themselves and, and their own religious practices. And many began to leave England to settle in the Americas or the New World, as they called it, where they, they could develop their own communities and, and were able to focus on their own religious beliefs. And most Puritans headed for the area now known as New England, where they, they founded the Massachusetts Bay Colony. And between 1630 and 1640, almost 80,000 Puritans left England and Europe for the New World. And once settled in New England, the Puritan communities insisted on a complete unity of thought and behavior from their members. And they avoided those who did not meet their strict religious codes and standards. And yet, there was much dissent among this deeply religious community. Essentially, the Puritans saw themselves as separatists, and they were intent on creating their own congregation. And one of the most famous of these separatist groups was the original 100 group of individuals who sailed to New England on the Mayflower in 1620. And this group is commonly referred to as the Pilgrims. So now that we have some background to the original settlers and their, and their motives, this helps us to form a view of their beliefs and customs, and it also sheds light on the origins of the, the later war between the settlers and the Native Americans. 
And at this point, I'll hand over to Navsi, who will begin the first part of uh, showing the details on the various myths and in inaccuracies surrounding the Thanksgiving story. Thank you, Navem. Um, I'll be starting with the uh, first aspect of the Thanksgiving story, which is exploring the tradition, traditional myth of, of Thanksgiving. Now, the enduring story of Turkey and Thanksgiving is a time-honored tradition where family and friends dine over a seasonal American feast, just like the original pilgrims did with the Native Americans during the first harvest celebration. Only very little of that myth, which is retold every year, is actually true. As the story goes, friendly indigenous Native Americans welcomed the bold pioneering settlers to a celebratory feast. The colonists initially struggled to survive in the new world. Consequently, the natives parceled off America to the white settlers so that they could build a mighty nation dedicated to liberty, opportunity, and Christianity for the rest of the world to profit from. Now, that's the story which has propagated for generations, especially it's about Native people con conceding to a colonialism in a bloodless and civilized manner. In a recent book by historian David Silverman entitled, This Land is Their Land, the Wampalang Indians, Plymouth Colony, and the Troubled History of Thanksgiving, the author questions much of the story by arguing is it a myth with glaring in inaccuracies? Further, Silverman argues that the constant narration of these falsehoods is a constant reminder to the Wimpenak tribe of those of their loss and how their society was permanently altered after the settlers arrived in Plymouth. The Wimpenags were the original natives of uh, Massachusetts and Rhode Island. And when the settlers arrived in Plymouth in 1620, the, the, their chief, Osama Quinn, offered the new arrivals an agreement largely as a way to protect the um, Wampanoags against the rivals, which were the Narragan sets. For almost 50 years, the alliance was pushed to the limit by colonial land expansion, the spread of disease and the exploitation of resources on uh, Wampalag land. Finally, tensions erupted into full-blown warfare, um, also referred to as King Philip's War. The conflict devastated the Wampanoags and forever shifted the balance of power in the favor of European arrivals. To this day, the uh, Wampanoag tribe still remembers the pilgrims arrival in their homeland as a day of deep mourning rather than a moment of giving thanks. So what are the most glaring inaccuracies in this story? Um, we'll start with the first one. The first being that the history of native people doesn't begin until the arrival of the Europeans, whereas indigenous people have existed in America for at least 12,000 years. By creating a relative timeline in parallel with the English is a, is a very easy way of dismissing all of that. Also, by analyzing the native uh, population before the pilgrims first arrived, it's easy to see why the seedbed for indigenous destruction had already been laid more than a century before the pilgrims arrived on Plymouth Rock. By 1519, a hundred European ships had made round trips to the Grand Banks and the European visitors brought with them disease to which the natives had no immunity. This included smallpox, measles, TB, cholera, and the plague. In 1616, a terrible plague swept the Massachusetts coast wreaking havoc and devastation and totally devastating the north of Boston. As many as 90% of the 4,500 Indians of the Massachusetts tribe perished. So this brings us to the second inaccuracy. Now the arrival of the Mayflower was an out, outreach or first contact episode, which is untrue. The, Vampa, the uh, Wampanoag uh, had the Wampanoag tribe had already been in contact with the Europeans to the tune of a century which involved slave raiding expeditions by the Europeans. The Wampanoag's leader, Osama Quinn, reached out to the English at Plymouth and was 
certain, and it was certainly in favor of an alliance with the settlers, not because he was overly friendly, but because his people had been discriminated by disease and Osama Quinn saw the English as an opportunity to fend off his tribal rebels, such as the the Naragan states. However, over time, the alliance became strained and the the Wampanoag tribe embarked on a series of raids and the New England Confederation of Colonies declared war in 1675. The war was bloody and devastating and was just one of the series of brutal but little remembered early colonial wars between Native Americans and and the colonists which occurred in New England. While popular memory has retained the innocuous image of a harvest celebration, the deadly forces that would ultimately drive apart the descendants of the guests of the feast were rarely considered. Now, this you know, brings us to the third inaccuracy. And this relates to how the feast um, became the focal point of the modern Thanksgiving holiday. For quite some time, the English settlers had been celebrating a version of Thanksgiving based on fasting and prayer as opposed to feasting. In 1769, a group of pilgrim descendants from Plymouth delivered that their cultural authority was being eroded as New England became less relevant within the early republic and, and they were interested in boosting tourism. So they propagated an idea whereby the pilgrims were the fathers of America. However, what really gave the story a boost was a footnote in a publication by Alexander Young, which stated, this was the first Thanksgiving, the great festival of New England. People immediately connected with the message from the footnote, and the idea became widely accepted. And as mentioned earlier, Abraham Lincoln declared it as a holiday during the Civil War to foster a sense of national unity. It gained momentum during the late 19th century at a time when there was increased concern over immigration. The white Protestants of the United States were worried about the influx of European Catholics and Jews and were eager to assert their their cultural authority over the newcomers. What better way than to create a national founding myth around the pilgrims and the Indians, inviting them to take over the land? This myth-making process was also impacted by the racial politics of the late 19th century. The Indian wars were coming to an end, and here was a moment to include the natives in the national founding myth. This was not possible when people were reading newspapers, accounts on a regular basis or atrocious violence between white Americans and native people in the West. Furthermore, the Thanksgiving myth allowed New Englanders to create a perception that the country's origins were founded on bloodless colonialism and bore no relation to the Indian wars and slavery. Americans could feel good about their colonial past without having to confront their shadier aspects. Modern-day Thanksgiving may be a celebration of people coming together, but that's not the whole story when it comes to the history of the day. Before we move to the major, second major issue of duplicity, let's take a look at some other aspects. Now, which other myths are inaccurate? The vast majority of the Thanksgiving narrative that generations of Americans have been taught is a fabrication. Unfortunately, history is often projected in different light, in a very different light, for various um, a variety of biased reasons. But the fact remains that what we understand of Thanksgiving today is mainly a myth. The holiday is celebrated every year in the United States and Canada, but sadly, very few people in North America are actually aware of what occurred on that very first Thanksgiving. We have uh, uh, compiled six interesting facts about the first celebration, which most people still believe to be true. Uh, I will start with the first one, which is the first myth again, the pilgrims left England for the new world. Now, none of the hundred passengers who left Plymouth on the Mayflower referred to themselves as pilgrim, or for that matter, at the first Thanksgiving. The name pilgrim only became associated with the European settlers during the late 19th century, but 
men members of the original group were known as separatists due to their disagreements with the teachings of the church of england also the separatists fleeing england did, didn't head straight for the new world when several of their leaders were executed many of them fled to holland due to protestant sympathies there eventually the congregation successfully petitioned for a land grant for of the virginia territory which they would call New England. They joined others fleeing England and set sail in September of uh, 1620 with 102 passengers eager to settle in the new world arriving in late November or early December to the place now known as New Plymouth. Which brings us to the second myth, the fir- which is that the first Thanksgiving was actually the first Thanksgiving. The celebration referred to as the first Thanksgiving was certainly not the first nor was it true thanksgiving celebration the feast the feast commemorated a treaty between the settlers and native americans and the settlers held several days of thanksgiving which involved more prayers than food the settlers and the wampanoags gathered together in what is traditionally called a harvest celebration and it it wasn't unique to either culture the native americans had been holding celebrations of the harvest for centuries as had the english and many other cultures around the world another misconception regarding thanksgiving relates to the time of year when it occurred hardly any culture celebrates the harvest in november but that's when thanksgiving is held in the united states each year the 1621 harvest celebration probably took place in september or possibly early october but certainly not as late as november the pilgrims offered up their harvest crops consisting almost entirely of vegetables the first person to associate the pilgrims native americans and a festive meal involving turkey and to name it the first thanksgiving was alexander young a unitarian minister in boston who published chronicles of the pilgrim fathers of the colony of plymouth in 1841 now this brings us to the third myth and which is the first thanksgiving was was called thanksgiving when people refer to the first thanksgiving in the autumn of 1621 many of the facts about the feast have been mixed up firstly the followers didn't think of it as thanksgiving as we know it today this is because the settlers version of thanksgiving would have been a more somber religious affair based on a community gathering around uh, offering prayers the fourth myth the relevance of turkey Modern Thanksgiving meals are incomplete without the traditional centerpiece dish, a large impressive turkey. Details are sketchy about what was eaten that day, but it's generally agreed that the Native Americans brought deer to the gathering, but definitely not turkey. The presence of venison is known in the New England area from historical accounts, and although the wild turkey was a common um, factor to the region, there's no historical evidence it would was included in the feast other food items commonly associated with today's version of thanksgivings were certainly not uh, which are not included are maybe apples pears sweet potatoes pie etc this brings us to the fifth myth which is native native americans were invited as guests One of the most prominent aspects of any Thanksgiving story involves the attendance of around 90 Wampanoag Native Americans. In almost every account, especially in early childhood educations, the settlers invited the local tribe to celebrate with them as a sign of friendship and unity. However, it was mostly likely done to offer thanks to the natives who taught the pilgrims how to survive by planting and harvesting local crops. A majority of those who came to America on the Mayflower came to make profit from the products of the land. The rest were religious descendants who fled England to escape religious intolerance. The small band of religious refugees and entrepreneurs that arrived on the Mayflower on December 1620 were inadequately prepared for survival. They did not bring enough food and they arrived too late to plant anything. 
They were not familiar with the area and lacked the knowledge, tools, and experience to effectively utilize the resources of nature surrounding them. Many died during the first few months from inadequate shelter and poor nutrition. Overall, there is a mixture of truth and a little fiction woven in these stories, but there is no evidence that the nine natives in attendance were welcome to join in the festivities through the invitation for the pilgrims. History is always being rewritten to the tapestry of conflicting stories describing what actually took place during the feast will continue for some time to come. Uh, well, we are coming up to a short break, so we've got much more to come in the next segment. Uh, see you shortly. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you are working on your path to enlightenment, may we suggest another guide point to help you get there? It's Soul Healing Conversations with your host, Roz Kincaid. Roz and her guests are making this show a safe place to find balance, healing, and transformation. You'll learn how to manifest the best version of your life. Make sure you join Roz every week for Soul Healing Conversations, live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. To find out more about us and the ideas behind our show, visit our website at gmc-radio.com. That's gmc-radio.com. Now, back to Good Morning Canada. Welcome back. You're listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. Great to have your company. Um, just to um, carry on from what we were discussing in the last segment, I'm going to talk about the sixth myth um, regarding the celebration of Thanksgiving. So, the first Thanksgiving was a celebration of friendship. When Americans gather around the table each November to celebrate Thanksgiving, most families will mention an account of what they're thankful for in the particular year. It's possible that the settlers did the same thing, but in reality, the celebration of the harvest was likely a solemn affair. When, the first, when they first arrived in the New World, the passengers aboard the Mayflower remained on the ship during the harsh winter. Around half of them died, and out of the 19 women who boarded, only five survived the brutal winter. The Wampanoags eventually helped the settlers to settle by teaching them how to hunt local game, uh, fish their waters, and grow corn, beans, and squash. Overall, there was a lot to be thankful for during the celebration, but with half of the original party gone, it's more likely the survivors were thankful to be alive and the mood was very somber rather than joyous. One thing that's certain is that it wasn't a celebration regarding the friendship between the natives and the pilgrims. Rather, there is, inc rather, there is inclusion, which was purely by chance. Now I'm going to hand over to Nav M to um, continue. Thank you, Nav C. So some uh, excellent insight there into the, the six myths which have <laughs> developed over the years regarding Thanksgiving. So let's now return to our second area of examination, the second major area of examination, and this is the issue of duplicity in the modern version of Thanksgiving and its relationship to consumerism. And some commentators have actually referred to this as, as a form of hypocrisy because 
uh, in the modern version of Thanksgiving, there seems to be a huge conflict between the concepts of gratitude as we know it in terms of thankfulness and uh, the materialism that we see, which is so popular in, in the modern era. So look at, let's look at this duplicity in the modern version of Thanksgiving. So as Americans celebrate Thanksgiving each year, it represents the starting gun in what is generally perceived as the beginning of the holiday sales period. And what we see in the next few weeks is a host of online and in-store retailers will generate billions of dollars in revenue during the <clears throat> upcoming holiday period. And this is actually a good point to remind ourselves on how Thanksgiving began as a moment to celebrate life's abundance and to give thanks for the year's blessings during the, the crucial autumn period. But overall, this is clearly not the current practice that we see today. And the majority of people will spend the four-day holiday weekend in a frenzy of overindulgence, whether it be eating and drinking or a carnival of consumer spending. And for online and in-store merchants, it represents the official start of the Christmas shopping season. And it begins on Thanksgiving weekend with Black Friday and Cyber Monday, and with a burst of holiday consumerism continuing over the Christmas period, culminating in the New Year bin shopping. And as mentioned previously, that the Thanksgiving holiday is awash with myths being propagated to individuals of all age groups. And at the heart of the myth is the premise that Thanksgiving was designed as a powerful form of symbolism to honor the growing power of the new American nation state. And its other purpose was to project a sense of moral superiority and the image of American exceptionalism as a culturally advanced nation. And it's interesting, what we see is that Thanksgiving also serves another purpose because it's based on the premise of divine belief that God made America in a special way. And this message has special significance in a nation where two-thirds of the population still identify themselves with the Christian faith. And this is despite the fact that the religious landscape of the United States continues to change at a very rapid pace as the decline of Christianity continues to separate church and state at a, an alarming rate. And in its present form, Thanksgiving is seen by many commentators as a, a decadent celebration where barely anyone gives thanks apart from pure and empty platitudes. And in this next section, we'll examine the role of gratitude in Thanksgiving. And the aim here is to ask, should we be thankful on a day-to-day -day basis? as opposed to an annual basis, because we know that daily gratitude boosts overall happiness for an individual. So at this point, I'll ask Nafsi to complete this uh, very interesting section about gratitude. Okay, thank you, Navem. Now, Thanksgiving is essentially a day of gratitude, but can we view it from an alternative perspective? Given that con consumer materialism has been identified as a cause of unhappiness in many human relationships, a number of authors within the field of psychology have argued that there is strong relationship between gratitude and well-being. From a practical point of view, this association seems logical because experiencing gratitude, thankfulness, and appreciation tends to foster positive feelings, which in turn contribute to one's overall sense of well-being. Therefore, gratitude appears to be a key point which contributes to an individual's well-being. We should definitely be grateful on Thanksgiving Day, but why limit that expression of gratitude to that just to just to that one day? For instance, we celebrate the joy of family members on a daily basis and not just on their birthdays and anniversaries. It is not better to be grateful for the good things in life on a, day, on a daily basis. Research shows that nurturing gratitude improves one's well-being dramatically. Throughout history, philosophers and world 
religions have celebrated the benefits of gratitude, describing it as a cohesive force and a social glue that fortifies relationships between friends and family members, creating a formal structure within human society. But how should we define gratitude and where does it come from? And are there other ways to foster expression of gratitude? Let's begin with the origins of of gratitude. The word gratitude has a number of different meanings depending on the context. However, a useful definition describing gratitude is the appreciation of what is valuable and meaningful to oneself. It is a general state of thankfulness and appreciation. The majority of empirical studies indicate that there is an association between gratitude and a sense of overall well-being. Factors which influence the association include personality factors, example, such as being an extrovert, agreeableness, conscientiousness, or one's level of openness. Cognitive factors, uh, intentions of the benefactor, whether they are acting out of pure selflessness or is it due to some selfish motive. Gender. Studies have found that girls and women report feeling more that uh, feeling more grateful than boys and men. Also, certain traits act as barriers to get to gratitude, and these include envy, materialism, or selfishness. So, let's briefly focus on the the issue of materialism because this is closely linked to what we refer to as modern version of Thanksgiving. Many sociologists believe that materialism is a pervasive problem for individuals, relationships, and society as a whole. Materialism refers to the value that a consumer places on material possessions, and it is a broad construct which incorporates personality traits such as envy, lack of gratitude, and possessiveness. In the case of Thanksgiving, there are conflicting ideas about materialism in society's messages. In one sense, a dichotomy exists because society places considerable emphasis on materialistic values, but at the same time, it's also, it also highlights the importance of collective-oriented values such as family coercion and community ties. So given that gratitude is good for you, what are the wider benefits derived from gratitude? Now, we know that gratitude is one way of encouraging a pattern of positive events and memories in the individual. This process has many benefits according to a wealth of scientific research in the growing field of positive psychology. For instance, many studies have shown that by regularly and purposely taking account of one's blessings, this improves our mental health and our overall well-being. Being appreciative creates joy in seeing the good in someone else. And this mental state boosts both our individual happiness. So being thankful opens pathways to future relationships, improves both mental and physical health, and boosts one's self-esteem. Now we will introduce eight benefits of gratitude. First being enhanced well-being. Expressing your thanks can improve your overall sense of well-being. Grateful people are more agreeable, more open, and behave less erratically. Deeper relationships. Gratitude is a powerful tool for strengthening interpersonal relationships. People who express their gratitude for each other tend to be more willing to forgive others and less self-centered. By giving thanks to those who have helped strengthen a relationship, this promotes an active relationship. Improved optimism. Research confirms that people who focus on gratitude show greater optimism in various areas of their lives, including health and exercise. Hence, when people are optimistic about their well-being and health, they may be more likely to act in ways that support a healthy lifestyle. Increased happiness. Gratitude helps establish a long-term trend towards the pursuit of happiness and life satisfaction. Hence, the more gratitude we experience and express, the more situations and people we may find to express gratitude towards. Stronger self-control. Gratitude influences self-control by helping to focus on discipline and focus. Therefore, self-control leads to better decisions for our long-term health, financial future, and well-being. 
It also promotes better physical and mental health. The link between mind body connection help us understand how gratitude creates dual benefit uh, benefit effects because the feeling of appreciation leads to healthier minds and in turn healthier bodies a better life and improved sense of well-being psychology research has shown that individuals who feel grateful tend to have more energy more optimism more social connections and more happiness than those who do not or are less likely to be you know uh, suffer from envy or greed or alcoholism stronger athleticism recent studies in the field of sports science have shown that an athlete's level of gratitude for success can influence the levels of well-being so we've looked at quite a few positive um, effects of gratitude now i'm going to hand over to navem who will lead us towards some final remarks thank you for that analysis navsi <clears throat> let's try to make sense now of everything that we've mentioned so far in the previous packages the research that we've previously presented d- discussed reminds us that gratitude involves an element of appreciation and in turn appreciation requires that we don't take everything for granted and in this process there are three main points that that we should be thankful for <clears throat> firstly the blessings and experiences in in life secondly the positive points within others and thirdly the positive points within ourselves and gratitude is a way of connecting to something much greater than ourselves and this sometimes means experiencing life as a surprise waiting to happen and remembering that there's always something new to discover and be thankful for and the first step in this process requires keeping an open mind and and being receptive to new experiences and as we discussed previously in the earlier piece regarding the the first thanksgiving encounter both sides from the famous feast in plymouth new england in 1621 approached their unique scenario as a transactional concept in other words both parties expected to receive something in return before the process of thanksgiving actually began and what we can learn from this is to be able to turn temporary gratitude into a long-term habit and this is because gratitude requires taking the time to pause and reflect on everything good that's happened throughout an individual's day and over a sustained period of time and one way of enacting this simple philosophy is to keep what's known as a gratitude journal um and this is a quite a new concept in positive psychology and the gratitude journal would be an ongoing practice and this is because appreciation starts with an individual and it represents an ideal way to be more accepting of one's own personality and a gratitude journal is a simple and very effective way to nurture positive memories and it works on the basis of diverting positive energy towards every good experience no matter how small it is and one useful tip in this process is to perhaps write those positive memories at night time because finishing each day with a with a, a grateful and a positive attitude transcends to thoughts going into the next day and what we know is that happiness is is actually a repository of small victories and it's the little things which add up creating what can be described as a cumulative effect of and ultimately building a sense of accomplishment and a gratitude journal helps in that process because it helps to see happiness in the things that we already have so this analysis on gratitude helps us have a much greater insight in how we adopt an alternative approach to giving thanks on a daily basis as opposed to what we see around us which is just being thankful at one time of the year especially in the form of thanks uh, giving as it's known today so let's wrap up with some final thoughts we began this episode with an examination of thanksgiving in north america and how it developed following the arrival of 
the Mayflower on the east coast of the Americas in 1620. We also mentioned how the indigenous people had practiced the harvest festival thousands of years before the arrival of the first Europeans. And the harvest concept holds a unique place in the lives of the Native Americans due to their spiritual beliefs, which involved a reciprocal relationship with nature. So offerings in the form of food and precious objects were given back to the earth to signify a sense of gratitude, thankfulness, and as a mark of respect to supernatural beings. And the Wampanoag people understood that it just wasn't possible to keep taking and extracting from, from the earth and, and to not give something back. So that they were very, very conscious of this process of uh, life cycles. And the Wampanoags celebrated their harvest with a ceremony that combined feasting, dancing and ceremonial games in which families gave away personal possessions to others in the community who were very needy. And this is a crucial point to remember because, especially when we reference those in need, because I'd like to add my own perspective to this concept of Harvest Festival. So growing up in the UK, Harvest Festivals had huge significance during each school year. And they were traditionally held between the 21st and the 23rd of September. And in Britain, thanks have always been expressed for successful harvest since pagan times, predating Christianity. And in our primary school, we celebrated Harvest Festival with songs and praying at school and by decorating the local church with baskets of fruit and food during the month of September. And it was altogether a, a huge, a cohesive community event. And traditionally, harvest season marks an important date in the British farming calendar because it was a vital time of year when success was genuinely a, a matter of life and death and things if they went the wrong way they could hang, uh, basically hang off a knife edge and a prosperous harvest ensured that communities would be fed throughout the potential barren winter months ahead however over the past two centuries technical technological advances have lessened our dependence on on the seasons so although the surviving practices that we see uh, in today's version of Harvest Festival are now mainly symbolic in nature, what did unite everyone, though, was the importance of crop gathering and the reverence in which harvest was held. And at the end of each harvest, any extra prod produce was given to needy people or it was also given to uh, old, old people's homes in the community. And in the modern era, food banks have largely taken over this role, but the symbolism could not be more divided in terms of the gluttony of consumerism which follows the, the modern Thanksgiving festivals in North America. For instance, year after year, we are tormented by shameful images of shoppers fighting over discounted widescreen TVs in malls and department stores across America during the Black Friday sales period. And these stories resonate because they're related to issues of class and race in America. And we've all seen the, the various doorbuster ads and all of the online ads which bombard us uh, online uh, basically to entice shoppers over the Thanksgiving weekend period. And, and the real tragedy is this, that it's individuals from poorer socioeconomic backgrounds that provide that seem to provide amusement for others as the, as they fight over consumer goods and we've all seen the images of people for their own amusement sharing it across social networks with their phones etc and it really is a dehumanizing spectacle to witness so then we ask do these images which depict poor people fighting over discounted deals, do they represent the materialism which was discussed earlier in the episode? Or is it actually something more, much more sinister? 
And is this really the, the modern version of Thanksgiving? And has this become a new norm where the better off differentiate themselves by assisting the needy, the lowly and the desperate with scraps of material wealth? And can we describe this as a new feast, as a, as a new Thanksgiving feast, where we give thanks by reaffirming our class status at the expense of others? And we discussed in the previous piece that it's better to celebrate and be thankful for what we have on a daily basis as opposed to an annual event such as Thanksgiving. However, when we see these pitiful images which dehumanize the needy, it's an opportune moment to ask, has the process of giving thanks regressed over and as a final remark, it's beneficial to remember that Thanksgiving was fundamentally a reminder of a change in the, the equinox. And this year for the Northern Hemisphere, the autumnal equinox fell on Tuesday, September 22nd, 2020. And the equinox refers to something very significant. It's a parabolic effect in nature whereby day and night are in balance with one another. A 12-hour day and a 12-hour night. And indigenous people have always associated the autumnal equinox with a sense of spiritual harmony by marking the, uh, the changing of the seasons. And these were marked as key points in, in nature's eternal cycle. And the, the equinox was a connection point between an inner spiritual journey and nature's universal expanse. And we at Good Morning Canada firmly believe that our consciousness is intricately linked to nature's shifting cycles in this ongoing process. And the equinox represents the ideal opportunity to explore our own self-reasoning and individual awareness. And our final message for everyone in Thanksgiving, in not only in Canada, but for uh, the Thanksgiving which is to come in America is that may we all find new pathways in the coming months ahead. And that's all we have time for today in this edition about Thanksgiving. Many thanks for listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. We really appreciated your company today. Just a quick mention that the show is syndicated to iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn and Google Play. Simply subscribe via the apps to make sure you never miss a show. To contact us, please go online at gmc-radio.com and you can always send feedback on any of the issues discussed in today's episode by emailing us at info at gmt-radio.com and also please like share and comment and connect via our social channels facebook instagram and twitter thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next wednesday at 9 a.m pacific and 12 noon eastern see you then take care okay then bye thank you for listening to good morning canada Please join NAVC and NAVM for another great program next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you soon.